By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. <clears throat> Grateful that, um, that you are a, a solid rock that we can stand on. Um, God, I pray that uh, today as we open up your word, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would um, just bring it to par- bear upon our hearts. God, that we would um, be more in awe of your love for us, that we would grow in understanding and confidence in your love for us, God, that you would expose us ways where we're trusting in sinking sand and maybe um, uh, other good things rather than trusting in your love to uh, sustain us and to uh, compel us to love others. And God, I just pray that uh, you would superintend over this time, that you'd be honored and glorified. Pray, God, that we would be uh, edified and encouraged. We love you, and all of God's people said, amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Give you a disclaimer, I kind of losing my voice. I didn't think, um, I didn't see that coming this morning. Second service, I was kind of stumbling through it, so I'll do my best with this water here and a cough drop in my pocket. But good to see you all. Um, happy Super Bowl Sunday. It's good to go Broncos. Um, they're not in it, are they? Yeah. I don't know who to root for. We have, uh, we are, uh, who? Kansas, did I hear that? Kansas City? I have a son in Kansas City, but I don't think I'm going to do it. Yeah, we'll see. <clears throat> we digress quickly. So we're, we're continuing our sermon series through First John, and it's, uh, it's been a great, great series. We started it back in September. We took a pause in December and then started it back up three weeks ago. And uh, if you've missed any part of it, um, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. It's been, uh, it's been really encouraging, good for my heart. Um, if you're new with us and you're new in the last three weeks, you probably don't know me. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just great to have the opportunity to, <clears throat> to be able to um, just bring God's word to us today. This sermon series in 1 John, we titled it Blessed Assurance. And John's... Um, the purpose of this book is he's writing to Christians, and he wants us to have assurance that we are the Lord's so that we can, um, 
we can have maximum joy, that we can have an overflow of being loved by God to love others, that we would operate in confidence. And I've titled this sermon today, The Power and Confidence to Love. And we've had several sermons on love. We've had, I think it's the fourth sermon that actually had love in the title, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal, deal in God's, uh, God's Word. It's a big deal in 1 John, um, the first and second commandments, say to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, it pretty much sums up uh, the entirety of the law, Matthew says. So this Greek word, as, um, <clears throat> as Gordon talked about last week, this Greek word, love, is agape. And there's four other types of love that we're not going to get into, or three other types of love that we're not going to get into today. But I did a sermon back in September, or actually October 6th, that did an exhaustive study of these four different types of loves. All said that we're, uh, when John talks about God's love for us and our love for one another, he's referring to agape love. So I'm going to just spend a little bit of time, as Gordon did last week, and did a great job on it, of explaining what agape love is. If we're, if we're um, called to grow in confidence of God's love for us, and we're called to love others, we need to understand what that type of love is. Natural man, or unregenerate man, uh, man or woman who is without a relationship with Jesus Christ, loves others based on the object being lovable, that we uh, love others to get something in return. Without God's Spirit, we are prone to love others based on our need for others' affection or friendship or approval. It's always easier to extend love when the recipient of our love is in some way, shape, or form lovely. Agape love is a love that creates because it desires to give love. Agape is complete. It's self-sufficient. It has no uh, wants or needs to satisfy other than the desire to see other people loved. That's our God. He created you and I to be loved by Him. He didn't need our love back. He created us to be loved by Him. Agape is not love because the object is lovable, but because the giver of the love is altogether lovely. I think I talked about this book back in October. It had a profound effect on me. It's called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And uh, Valentine's Day is coming up. And if you're looking for a book to read together or listen together, we listen to ours. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour listen in the car. Um, it's a great book. Um, it'll, it'll spur you on to understand God's love for you in a greater way and to love your wife or your husband in a more selfless way. But Lewis called these, um, these other three types. He had, he had a name for these other three types of loves that I'm not going to go into. Um, but we're going to talk about agape. And agape, C.S. Lewis said, is a give love, G-I-V-E. Agape is a love that gives everything to the recipient with no strings attached. Agape does not love to fulfill some type of need it creates in order to love. Agape is the way that God loves you and I, and it's the way that he wants us to love others. And the more that we understand God's love for us, and the more confidence we have of God's love for us, the more free we are to love one another without fear of rejection or expecting anything in return. 
But here's the problem, and this is the problem in my life, and I would assume it's the problem in your life. I've had a lot of people in my life that have loved me well, I feel like, um, at different times. It's been imperfect. But n in fact, none of us have experienced perfect agape love from any human being. Some of us have experienced in, it in part from a parent or a sibling or a child or a spouse or a friend. But none of us have experienced selfless, giving, agape love perfectly and consistently from any human being, from another person. These experiences of not being loved perfectly and consistently perfectly, not being loved sacrificially, not being loved unconditionally, consistently, can lead to a fear of giving this agape love to others. Maybe the fear of giving this love and then being rejected, um, or that person um, not, um, uh, not receiving your love. Over the years, I've learned to take some risks in loving people. And I don't know why it's, it's, it's so hard, but at times um, I don't often love because of fear that the love's not going to be received or worse, that I'll be rejected. We have all had someone we love or have tried to love reject us or leave us. It might have been a parent that abandoned you. It might have been a divorce in your own life, maybe your parents' life. It could have been unfaithfulness. Someone died. Over the years, Nancy and I have had to consciously love people knowing in the church, knowing that some people will leave the church. Sounds weird, but I'm just being honest with you. Like when we, um, sometimes when we, we, you can, we can be afraid to, to get close to people not knowing if they're going to stay around. And that can hinder all of our love. When we operate with fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of not being approved, um, it's hard to invest in other people for fear that they might reject or leave you. As, as I grow in understanding and trusting in God's perfect love for me, his perfect love for me, I gain confidence. The more I understand, the more I taste and see that he's good. The more times I blow it and see that he's right there and loves me consistently. It actually increases my resolve to love him. It increases my resolve to love others because the one who loves me the most will never leave me nor forsake me. <clears throat> In this passage today, we'll look, we'll look at the power and the confidence to love others. The power and the confidence. <clears throat> In verses 11 through 12, Gordon, that Gordon taught on last week, we were encouraged to love others as we've been loved by God. John, in verses 11 through 12, gives us a pattern of sorts of loving others. He says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's what he's saying. Is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That when we were unregenerate, we were enemies of God. That when we were, um, um, that we were running in the opposite direction. And that God in his kindness loved us 
So therefore, we ought to love one another. If God could love the likes of me, I ought to love others. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The more we love others, especially those who may be hard to love, is an indicator of God's love being perfected in us. And you're going to see this all throughout these scriptures, that God's love is perfected in us. And we'll talk about it probably more than you'd like. But God's love is always perfect for us. His love towards you is perfect um, on your worst day, and his love for you is perfect on your best day. When the passage talks about his love being perfected in us, it's us growing in understanding of his perfect love for us. You see, the more that we understand and gain confidence in his love for us, um, the the, uh, more effective, if I can use that term, we're going to be in loving others. What, what his love being perfected in us doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that there are degrees or some type of trajectory towards perfection of his love. His love is perfect, and his love is perfect for us even when our love is imperfect for him or when our love is imperfect for others. Verse 13, <clears throat> by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. By this, a growing and active love for one another is assurance that we belong to the Lord and he abides or remains in us. He abides in us. What does it mean to abide? It means that he is in us. He remains in us and he is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He abides in us through the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit. John 15 verses 4 and verse 26 says this. Abide in me, and I in you. Abide means to remain. That if you know Jesus Christ, um, the Spirit of God will always remain in you. But we're being encouraged here in John 15 to abide in Him. There's actually, there's action involved in that. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What he's saying is is that I abide in you, but you're not going to bear any fruit unless you abide in me. And we'll talk about what it means to abide. But when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear bear witness about me. Loving one another is impossible. Agape loving one another is impossible for the natural man or woman, for someone that's unregenerate. They're always going to have an agenda. That we can only love like God when we have God's Spirit in us. And we have God's spirit in us at the moment of salvation. You see, when I remember that I'm indwelt and sealed by the spirit of God, I can have increasing confidence in God's love for me and in his power to bear the increasing fruit of love for others. For, for others. God's spirit gives us the power and the confidence to love as we've been loved by him. Romans 8 says this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In in addition to having his spirit, John testifies um, in verse 14 that he encountered Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, he encountered him while Jesus was on the earth and testifies that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, the Savior of the world. 
And the worst thing that can happen this morning, I'll just tell you right now, is that we're, we're going over some pretty basic gospel truths. And, um, and it's these basic gospel truths that we have God's Spirit and that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world that um, actually, by marinating in those, um, give us greater understanding and greater confidence of God's love for us that gives us the confidence without fear to love other people. So in verse 14, he says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. John is reminding believers that the eternal God sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to save the world. The one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, was God incarnate. That Jesus is the, uh, the, the man, Jesus, the incarnate God, it's not a tall tale. It's not a vision. It's not hearsay. John, along with the other apostles, hundreds of disciples, encountered Jesus in the flesh, and now he testifies that the eternal God, who was with the Father in all of his glory, was made manifest to John and the others in that very first century. And we can stand on that, that today. <clears throat> it's important to note that Jesus was not merely a teacher or a helper or a prophet. He was, and he still is, the Savior of the world. He came to save all who put their faith in him from the penalty of their sins. The world, the Savior of the world, includes every tribe, every nation, every political party. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 15, God abides in him and he in God. What's it mean to confess? What it means to confess is to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, confessing that he is who he says he was, and he did what he said that he came to do. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified or declared innocent, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is foundational in understanding the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. If you're here this morning uh, and you don't know Jesus and you're a pretty good person, maybe a better person than me, I can tell you I want to encourage you to stop your striving and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And brothers and sisters who have already done that, who are already in God's kingdom, it's the gospel that we stand in daily being reminded that God is the Savior of the world and that he had you and I in mind when he condescended and took on flesh. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But we're being progressively sanctified, meaning that our faith increases over time. We're saved once and for all, but our faith and our reliance on God's love increases over time. And it grows stronger the more we understand the love of God. Here's what the progression looks like. Three steps. We're saved by faith. Saved by grace through faith. We come to understand our need to be saved and we put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. 
We acknowledge and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and that we need him to forgive us of our sins. That's one, saved by faith. Two, relationship. You see, we were, we're saved not just so that we can um, avoid hell. We have been saved not just from hell, but unto a relationship with the living God. <coughs> we come to know him, the scripture says. We enter into a personal relationship with the personal and eternal God. This is the purpose of forgiveness. And finally is sanctification. We're saved by faith. Our faith is being increased through sanctification as we understand more and more of God's love for us and we grow in that confidence. And then finally is sanctification. It's growing in knowing and trusting his love for us. And you see, we just we move past it way too quick. And when we don't love people well, when we don't love people selflessly, it's because we forget and we don't trust in God's love for us. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love of God. And believe here means to trust or rely upon the love of God. So we have come to know relationship and to believe or rely upon or trust in the love that God has for us. <coughs> God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. The more we abide in him, the more we grow in knowing and trusting and rely upon his love for us. What does it mean to abide? To remain in. If you know Jesus, the Spirit remains in you. It abides in you. But we're called to abide in Christ. And we do that by spending time in His Word, by spending time in prayer, and spending time with the body of Christ. That abiding, abiding in Jesus, the Son of God, is abiding in His body. Because there are times when I am doubting the love of God, or, um, or put it another way, I'm trying to get love from another person that only God can give me, and we need the body of Christ to remind us of the truth of the relationship that we have with the Father in God's unconditional love for us in our best moments and our worst moments. The more we taste and see of him, the greater our confidence is in his love for us, and that will free us to love other people. John says God is love. God abides in the Christian, therefore love abides in you. Love is becoming of you. Love is who you are. Because it's who God is who remains or abides in you. We were created to be loved, and we were created to love. That's it. Created to be loved, created to love God, and to love other people. Everything falls underneath those. I started out that when we have not experienced perfect love, we tend to withhold love from others. Or at the very least, we put conditions on our love for others to protect ourselves. Because loving others can be scary. 
But as we grow in the understanding and confidence of God's perfect and unfailing love for us, we start losing any fear of rejection or condemnation or judgment by God or by other people. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. By abiding in him, by spending time in his word, in prayer, and with other believers, by abiding in him, we grow in our understanding and in our confidence of his perfect love that abides in us. We know that his spirit indwells us and his love remains in us no matter what. We can have confidence that when you stand in front of Jesus, that day of judgment, you will not be judged guilty. You'll be reminded that because of the shed blood of Jesus, you are innocent. And if you are in Christ, you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Last week, Gordon explained that Jesus is our propitiation. And he had a great picture for us, that umbrella, if you remember that, where God's wrath, we're under, we're under the shield of Christ, and God's wrath is, is bouncing off the umbrella. Let me take that just a little bit further, if I might. Jesus is our propitiation. What propitiation means is that it is a suitable sacrifice that absorbs God's wrath. But it's more than that. It's the great exchange. Jesus didn't just take the wrath of God that we deserved, but he clothed us in his righteousness. The great exchange that he who knew no sin, what? Became our sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So propitiation, Jesus is our propitiation where he took all of God's wrath and he gave us all of his righteousness. So we can have confidence for the day of judgment. And this confidence in the day of judgment is the greatest confidence that any human being could have. I know some dear people in my life that are in their mid-80s. They don't have any confidence in judgment. And my prayer is, is that God, even in their last years, would give them faith and indwell them with the Holy Spirit. So even like the thief on the cross in their last days, they can have confidence today as they think about that day of judgment, knowing that they are in Christ and that they are loved perfectly because of their faith in the shed blood of Jesus. Confidence for the day of judgment is the greatest confidence any human being can have. In Christian, you have no fear of the final judgment because your eternal destiny is settled by the love of God. In verse 17, it says, As he is, so also are we in the world. As Christ is in the heavenlies today, we are in the world. As Christ is righteousness, righteous, we are clothed in his righteousness. 
And as Christ lived in the world and loved the world, we can do the same because of his indwelling spirit. As he is, so also are we in the world, that we are co-heirs of Christ, that every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus that he possesses now is ours in Christ Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live and love in this world in the same way Jesus did. Verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Remember, that doesn't mean degrees of God's love. Whoever fears has not come to a complete understanding of God's unfailing, sacrificial, never-ending love for us. If you're fearful, we live in a fearful culture. And I want to really be careful here. Because there are people, there's people that I love dearly that are, um, they're, they're overcome with fear. And it's a, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a thing that they need to get treated. But the place to start when you are fearful, and we live in a fearful culture, there's more fear today, is there not, in our homes and in our schools and our culture than there was th- throughout all time. That we, there's a lot to be afraid of. Coronavirus. Stock market that was down 605.35 points on Friday. But who's counting? How is my child going to turn out? If you're fearful, particularly fearful of loving others, it might mean, just consider it, it might mean that you're afraid of punishment of some sort. And there's something defective in your whole concept of God's love for you. Do you believe that God's got this? Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God loves you and has your best interest and your family's best interest at heart? There's a lot to be afraid about. Remember that scene in Charlie Brown Christmas? When Charlie Brown consults the great counselor, Lucy, about all of his fears. And after she rattled off a number of phobias to each of which Charlie Brown said, I don't think that's quite it. And Lucy says, maybe you have pantophobia. And Charlie says, what's pantophobia? And she yells, fear of everything. And we live in a culture that wants us to be afraid of everything. But perfect love casts out fear. Not my love, not my words. Perfect love. Knowing that he who created you to be loved and he who saved you to be forever loved is the same one that will forever love you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of us have fear because of our past. For, other, for others, the present worries us. For still others, the, the future threatens us. 
If you fear having dental work, like I do, and you know I have to go to the dentist tomorrow, you're a nervous wreck between now and then, and you're tormented by that fear. The fear of the future torments you now. Fear's a real thing. I talked to a young lady the other night. She's afraid of snakes. My wife's afraid of mice. My brother's afraid of spiders. We have a friend that's afraid of cats. That's the only legitimate fear that I know of. <laughs> but I'm afraid of people that have cats. <laughs> There's legitimate fears. We may not overcome all the fears. But take to heart John's words here. That perfect love casts out fear. Romans 8, 14 through 15 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Remember, the Spirit of God is, a, is evidence, it's a sign, it's a seal of God's love for us. Verse 15 of Romans 8, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons who cry, Abba, Father. That's the God who loves you who will never leave you nor forsake you. That we can call him Daddy, Abba Father, who gives good gifts. And knowing and understanding God's perfect love for you and I squashes the fear of loving others. God's love is perfect, and it is making our love perfect or perfecting our love, if you will. But let me say this. Natural man or woman, unregenerate man or woman should be afraid, should be very afraid. And there are some who don't profess faith in Jesus Christ who are not afraid. It's because they reject the reality of judgment. Those are called atheists. There are others not afraid because they never thought of it. Children are often not afraid of things that they don't know that they should be afraid of. Like crossing the street. Ignorance is often the cause of fearlessness. And brothers and sisters, we don't want anybody to be ignorant of the truth of Hebrews 9.27 that says that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this is judgment. That is good news for the Christian, and it is horrible news for the non-Christian. But for all who confess Jesus as Savior and are being perfected by His love, there's no fear in love. When we know and trust in the love of God, we're freed to pursue loving others without expecting anything in return. There is no fear because there is no punishment or judgment for the believer. Perfect love casts out fear. Your judgment, let me remind you, has already occurred at the cross. Your sins were judged at the cross. God poured out um, um, his judgment on Jesus for the payment of your sins. And when we grow in our understanding and confidence in this, we are free to love God and love other people. Has anybody seen the movie Free Solo? A few of you have? It's, I can't believe I'm one of the first to see it in here. 
Because I don't, I'm, don't like to be scared. I don't like heights. I don't like blood. I don't, I mean, animated movies, I get scared and cover my head. But I saw it just because my, my son-in-law was telling me about it, and I go, wow, like, I want to I wanna know what makes this guy tick. So if you don't know the movie, the guy's name was um, Alex Hallhold. He's a professional climber, and he's, um, he's free-soloed, which means that you don't have ropes or anything like that. You just, you just climb up the rocks. And he's free-soloed some mountains or cliffs that are like 100, 200 feet. But he wanted to free-solo um, the, the steepest and longest slab of granite on the planet, El Capitan. 3,600 feet of sheer cliff from top to bottom. And he wanted to climb it without any ropes. And so do you know what he did to develop his confidence so that he wouldn't have any fear? The guy's kind of an idiot for doing it, if you ask me. I mean, I was scared. I was more scared than he was. And he was on the side of the rock. I was on the other side of the TV. Here's what he did. He climbed it with ropes. He got to know this slab of granite so well that when it came time to free solo it, he could climb it without ropes, and he knew for all 3,600 to 3,800 feet, I forget which one it was, for all, he knew where every finger was going to go before he climbed it. He was so intimately familiar with it that it took away his fear because he had experienced it so intimately for 40 to 50 climbs. Confidence comes from abiding in the Lord. Confidence comes from us getting to know in deeper and uh, more significant ways the, the character and the love of God. And the more that we um, taste and see that God is good by abiding in Him, the freer we are to love others with reckless abandon. You see, love and fear are completely incompatible. This coronavirus made me think, it gave me a picture of a mom holding a child, her child, with an infectious disease. Not the child in a bubble, or maybe the mom was with the child in the bubble, but there's such love for this child that her perfect love for her child cast out her fear of being infected. God's perfect love for us perfects our love for Him and for others. Final three verses. Verse 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, John says. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We love him because he first loved us. One of the primary ways we love God is to love those God loves. If you say you love God and you say at the same time that you hate your brother, John says you're a liar. And the thing for us to reckon with this morning is that what does it mean to not love our brother? It can bring a whole host of things. And we're not going to be able to get into that deeply. So to love others as God loves us, we need to understand and rely upon his love. Spurgeon said this, what is it we have been talking about? 
It is God's love to us. Get the thought into your head a minute, he says. God loves me. Not merely bears with me or thinks of me or feeds me, but loves me. Oh, it is a very sweet thing to feel that we have the love of a dear wife or a kind husband. And there is much sweetness in the love of a fond child <clears throat> or a tender mother. But to think that God loves me, this is infinitely better. Who is it that loves you? God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Almighty. All in all, does he love me? Even he? If all men and all angels and all the living creatures that are before the throne love me, it were nothing to this. The infinite loves me. And who is it that he loves? Me. The text says us. We love him because he first loved us. But this is a personal point. He loves me. An insignificant nobody. I disagree with Spurgeon on that point, by the way. That if you are made in the image of God, and every human being is, you are not an insignificant nobody. But the point stands. He first loved us. And this is the personal point. He loves me. Full of sin who deserve to be in hell, who loves him so little in return, God loves me. Do you believe that this morning? If we hate our brother, John says we don't love God, or we're not loving God. If we say we love God and hate our brother, we're lying. Verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's no separation between the first and the second commandment. Jesus says this in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. By loving our brother whom we have seen, we are loving God who we have not seen. You ask, how do I love God today? How do I love God tomorrow? It's to love one another. The type of love John describes here is an active love. We don't show agape love by simply saying, I love you. It's a good start. Or by sending love letters. But Jesus came and tabernacled with us. He emptied himself, became a servant, became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. That's the type of love we're to show one another sacrificial. Showing love in actual conduct and behavior. And we're going to close with this. Question for you, just to ponder tomorrow. Maybe I'll put these out on the questions tonight. What do you do if you're having a hard time loving another person? Can we be honest? Not everybody's lovable. Some people are easy to love. My wife's easy to love. Some people in our lives have hurt us, and we have a hard time loving them. What do you do if you're having a hard time loving someone? Well, first of all, you need God's power. And if you know Jesus, you have his spirit. And you need to have an increasing 
confidence in God's love for you. And here's how you do that. Five easy steps. Pray for them. Pray for the one whom you are having a hard time loving. My wife always says that you have a hard time disliking somebody or not loving somebody that you're praying for. It's amazing how God changes your heart. Ask God to empower you to love them, number two. Number three, abide in Christ. And by abiding, be reminded of God's perfect love for you. By sending his son, by indwelling you with the spirit, by taking the wrath that you deserve, and by having a, a living and active relationship with you today. Number four, forgive the person that you're having a hard time loving. Number five, figure out a way to serve them practically, expecting nothing in return. And if I'm that guy that you're having a hard time loving, you want to serve me practically, I like Chimney Park gift certificates. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we bless you. What a miracle. That you in your holiness and your justice would put forth a plan to bring sinners into a relationship with you where we are fully, in a, fully loved and accepted because of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, I beg you that you would never let that truth grow stale, that we would never move past the gospel. But God, that when we are struggling to um, believe in your love for us, struggling to love others in the same way that you love us, um, God, I pray that we would, um, that you would just meet us where we're at, uh, in your word, uh, through your spirit, in the context of your people. And God, if nothing else, that this church would be a uh, light post of love, where we would soak in together your love, and then we would go out together, loving others as we've been loved. For your glory and for the sake of others. Thank you for loving us. And God, please give us the courage and the strength. Compel us to love you and to love others in return. It's in Jesus' name we pray.